Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. good to see everybody here this morning. Um, I was telling the staff before we started that I'm in finance, so I think about everything in quarters. So in my mind, I'm already ready for fourth quarter. Um, and of course, everybody's ready for football season. So when you, <laughs> when you think about like what August 20th just means to us, um, sometimes you don't think about the Christian calendar first. Um, so it's always a good reminder to recenter our hearts to God. Um, this morning we're gonna, we, oh, did I say my name? My name is Andrew Mika Knight, um, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you to River City this morning. One of the things we do every Sunday is we read a psalm, um, not because it connects us just to God's word, but it also connects us to the global church. The psalms that are listed are a part of the lectionary, and there's churches all over the country, all over the world, who are also reading and studying these same psalms. So it's important that we remember our sisters and brothers that are beyond these four walls or beyond our zip code, and we remind ourselves that we're all the bride of Christ. Um, this Sunday Psalm is 111, and it says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just all of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's good. So let us bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you that you reminded us of such words as 
gracious and mercy and wondrous. Thank you that you are awesome and holy, Lord, that you have set a perfect example, that you have allowed us to just be in fellowship with one another, that those covenants are ways that we can bond together, that we can be in unity with one another, Father God, and not in competition. Thank you that you chose each one of us individually and that that bond is special and sacred, Father God. God, thank you that you have offered us salvation. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that your love is unconditional. Thank you for your just mercy on today. Lord, we pray not only just for our River City Church family, but for our sisters and brothers across the globe. Those who are meeting in secret, those who are able to meet in public, Father God, we thank you that we all can unite ourselves around your gospel, Lord. Thank you for being holy and perfect. Even if we are going through something where we are seeking you, God, we thank you that you are there with us. Lord, we pray for everyone who is here today and everyone who is visiting. In your son Jesus' name, amen. God, once you bless the message, once you bless the service, once you bless those that have given of their time this morning, bless those that just need your blessing, that just need your presence in a new way this morning. We trust you, God. We trust you as our living, triumphant hope, God. We are championed in you, under you, by your sacrifice and by who you are as a good father. So all the prayers that were prayed this morning, God, would you just seal those against the plans of the enemy, God, that the words that were spoken, Lord, would be remembered, that they would be cherished, that they would be held deep within their hearts, God, in a pure and in a peaceful way, God. We just receive your word that you have for us today, Lord, and we just commit to follow you this morning, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of our nation, God, we repent of being the most powerful and needing to dominate. And we ask that you would draw us back into the kind of lifestyles you've asked us to lead. We repent of treating our brothers and sisters from other places differently than people who are from our places. We recognize that there needs to be racial reconciliation. We want to be a part. We recognize that we need to take more seriously how we love people. We need to repent. And Jesus, we submit things, these things to you. We recognize that we need to be a part of these conversations and prayers. We thank you that we can. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So I have to dip out a little bit early because my son's baseball team won the state championship and are being presented at the Braves game today, which means way more to me than it should. So I'm going to be running out of here. Um, we're going to be jumping into a new book. And somebody asked this morning in our pre-service kind of gathering, is this what we do? Do you preach through books? And we haven't historically done this. We did the whole book of Mark, which took over a year. And we learned that as you preach through an entire book, you don't have the luxury of picking out the ones that are easy to preach and talk through. We learned that you have to hit the things that are difficult to discuss, which is a lot of Christianity in a lot of our lives. And so we felt like after Mark, because of what we saw God do through Peter and the person of Peter and the interactions, it was a lot that we wanted to continue to jump into. So we're going to jump into 1 Peter. And this book 
is around 30 or so years later than Mark was written about. And Peter happens to be about 60 to 65 years old. Anybody here 60 to 65 years old? I'm thankful for all of you. Everybody, hey, Phil. I'm thankful for everybody in here who's 60 to 65 to 70, some people, dad, amen. (laughs) I'm thankful that you're here because I think a lot of times in communities that have a lot of younger people, it can be intimidating, but we cannot be alive without you. According to the word, according to what we need, we need people who have more wisdom than us. And so I'm I'm thankful that you're here. Please hear me say that I mean that. Um, Peter was a person of age. (laughs) He was 60 to 65. And... He was at the spot in his life where he kind of understood the message of Jesus in the gospel. So he writes this book. Why is it important to gather around the word? What we have right now, I think, is a Christian community who's, and I don't say this casting any stones at anybody, pretty illiterate with the word. Do not really understand the main themes, don't understand how it fits together. We can talk about the Psalms, we can talk about for I know the plans, right? Who can, who can say that one? For I know the plans, what is it? Right, right. For God so loved the world that he... And then there's other ones, right, that we all know. <laughs> it's important to know the story. It's important to know the context. It's important to know why it was written, when it was written. So when we jump into First Peter, my hope is that you understand this isn't just us preaching to you through a book. It's trying to model how we need to live our lives. We have to approach the word. We have to let the word speak to us. And not just our interpretation of what it should say. Not just our approach to how we should read it. We have to gather around it and let it speak to us. Let it inform us. And so my hopes are that this is that for you guys. One of the things about this book that's most... Well, let me start, let me start with this. So I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, when I started ministry full-time, it was about 10 to 12 years ago. And I became a youth pastor at a church pretty close to here. And I remember feeling resolved that I had call, I was going to serve, and God had gifted me to do a couple things. And so I showed up at this youth ministry, was super pumped that I would be hired, legitimately really couldn't understand how I could be considered for a job, and I was hired and being paid for it, for Jesus. It was like, this can't be real. And I was just excited about ministry, get into ministry, and within two months, a few things happened. Excited about ministry, going to do this, like... There's, there's already 40 to 50 youth coming to our youth groups. Like, we're, we're going to build the biggest youth group in the world. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be famous. Um, so about a month in, the pastor that hired us, who said he would be there with us, disappears. He's gone. When he hired us, he was like, Get, well, I'm going to be here. You don't need to worry about it. He left. Transitioned. He had, had already been planning that. Actually, he knew that was going to happen. We started to have fights break out between our youth. We actually took our kids on a, on a retreat to a place called Winterfest, which is a magical land of not really Christian stuff. It's just like a world we created and take kids to. It's actually pretty good. During that retreat, I have a young student male and a young student female get in a fist fight in the the retreat. I was like 20-something years old. Like, I don't even know what to do with this, guys. So um, parents in the church started to kind of come after Sarah and I. We had people on staff whose kids demanded positions in the youth ministry, and their parents reaffirmed their demands. We were like, this doesn't seem right. We started to feel like we didn't have a place. It was an extremely diverse youth group, like extremely diverse. We, we loved it, um, 
But about a month in, I would sit in my office and literally I would weep. Not because of what Jesus was doing. And Jesus was doing some stuff. But because I had no idea the kind of trials and tribulations that came along with living for God. I had no idea. And we don't live, right, in first century Judea where people are being killed in our society right now. We don't live in that. But the weight for me was mind-blowing. So much so that I had to ask really tough questions in the process. Is this really what I want to do? Is this what this is going to be about? Because it's not just about becoming a speaker at Catalyst, evidently. It's not just about having massive youth events, and it's not just about being cool, like for youth, right? Like having games and Xbox. It's not going to be that. So do we really want to do this? And through a process of about five years, we decided, you know what, this isn't what we signed up for, but we said we would commit to these kids. We stayed for five years, didn't search jobs. And in that process, things that God formed in us, there's no other way they could have been formed. There's no other way. If I would have shown up and everything would have been given to me and here's a $100,000 budget and I had to fight for money. My office at this first church was an actual closet that when I showed up, they said, you need to clean out that closet. That's your office. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Five years in, the lessons I got from that experience have formed every part of our ministries, have formed how we do church here. Each season in our lives, we're going to walk through trials. We're going to walk through things that aren't fun. And the things given to us through those things can only come in those ways. We can't avoid them. This book, this is a book that was written to encourage people, which is interesting Because most of the books written to churches are to correct them, right? Corrective language to a community of people who is kind of falling by the wayside. This community is being encouraged by a warm, fatherly, loving, pastoral figure. That's this book. And there's a couple things you need to know about it as we start. It was written around 60 to 70 to exiles all across the land, which proves that other than Paul, people had started taking the gospel to places and spreading the words of Jesus. Not through the Bible, through the stories of Jesus. There was no formal. It was just the stories that were being circulated about Jesus Christ and his ministry, right? You guys understood that, right? So for about 60 years, it wasn't extremely difficult. Even There was even a part of the Jewish community that considered Christians to be welcome. There wasn't a lot of persecution. And then at around 64 AD, someone named Nero showed up on the scene. And... It's believed that he wanted to burn down the city just so that he could build another city. And when this happened, everyone knew it was Nero, but he didn't want to take the blame for it, so he tried to find a scapegoat. They actually said that he sat in his lofty castle and watched the city burn, and as soon as he would see a portion of it stop burning, he would send someone to start the fires again. And so the whole nation hated him. And he thought, well, how can I... How can I divert what's happening, right? How can I divert? And this is where true persecution started for this community. He started to label Christians because some of their language talked about things like cannibalism. Like their talk of the table was about how they take the blood and body. So it even got circulated that they had eaten a Gentile baby. And so Nero starts this huge kind of thrust toward this community. And I want to just read you some. William Barclay is going to help me preach today, guys. Can I get an amen? Amen. Who owns these at home? Everybody's got a set of these, right? We're giving them out at the doors for you guys. So, 
The resentment of the people was bitter. Nero had to divert suspicion from himself. A scapegoat had to be found. The Christians were made the scapegoat. Neither humanists, and this was, a, this was something that circulated in this time, neither human assistance in the shape of imperial gifts nor attempts to appease the gods could remove the sinister report that the fire was due to Nero's own orders. And so in the hope of disap- dissipating the rumor, he falsely diverted the charge on a set of people whom a vul- the vulgar name Christians was given and who were detested for the abominations they perpetuated. The founder of this sect was one named Christus. He had been executed by Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. And the dangerous superstition, though put down for the moment, broke out again, not only in Judea, the original Rome, the pest, but even in Rome, where everything shameful and horrible happens. Carrying on a little further, the reason why they believed that they had these thoughts about Christians, the Lord's Supper was a secret matter. At least in a sense, it was open to its members. And certain phases connected where it was fruitful sources for pagan slanders. Phrases about eating someone's body and drinking someone's blood. That was enough to produce a rumor that Christians were cannibals. In time of a rumor grew and became a story that Christians killed and ate a Gentile baby. At the Lord's table, the Christians gave each other a kiss. Which sometimes still happens, actually. Their meeting was called the agape or love feast, thus making people believe that these became orgies. This is legitimate. So what was the response to this? This is where it becomes drastic, where they weren't persecuted before. In any event, the blame for the fire was attached to Christians, and a savage outbreak of persecution occurred. Nor was it simple persecution by legal means. Christians perished in the most sadistic ways. Nero rolled the Christians in pitch and set light to them and used them for torches. He sewed them in animal skins and set them free and allowed dogs to hunt and destroy them, to tear them limb from limb while they still lived. Multitudes upon multitudes of Christians were killed. So this is why Paul begins to write this letter. He's trying to appeal to a group of Christians that are legitimately in a tough time. So I wanna, on that basis, I want to read you the passage for this week. And this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification, sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that makes a little more sense as you read this. Various trials is a little different than just, it's not good to be a Christian. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through its test, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is an inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. So if you'll just pray with me really quickly, eyes closed. Jesus, this book written to this community informs us today. Help us to look at this as a living word. We know the word without you are just words on paper, but because of you, because they attest to you, God, because it's about you, Jesus, these words become alive. Help us to be formed today. Help us to glean today. Help us to be challenged today. To put our faith in who you are, Jesus. In your name we pray. Pray. Amen. So really quickly, the first couple things I just want to jump into. It mentions that there are Christian exiles, which is interesting because they're scattered in all these different cities, a part of the cities that they are in, but they're labeled as exiles. And there's a couple reasons why you need to know this. For the Christian, whatever nation they would happen to be in is not their nation of origin. So this is applicable for me and you in that you happen to be a member of this nation, correct? Raise your hand if you're a member of this nation. This is not your nation of origin. Your nation of origin is a city that's yet to come. Your city that you are a member of is not even here yet, but here in us. And so when it's talking about the exiles, it's explaining that you are literally sent to be a part of these cities as exiles, which is really informative for us today. That as we have brothers and sisters, and you heard this in my prayer earlier, that are from different nations, if we have a brother or sister in Christ anywhere, they are a part of our nation. I'm still going to bring you some Barclay if that's okay with you guys. Is that okay with you guys? I don't typically do this. I think there's one other Sunday where I was like, Barclay's helping me preach. This is going to be one of those Sundays. All right. There's a famous unwritten saying of Jesus. The world is a bridge. The wise man will pass over it, but he will not build his house upon it. This is the thought which is behind the famous passage of the epistle of Diogenes. One of the best-known works of the apostolic age, Christians are not marked out from the rest of mankind by their country or their speech or their customs. They dwell in cities both Greek and barbarian, each as his lot is cast, following the customs of the region in clothing and in food and the outward things generally. Yet they manifest the wonderful and openly paradoxical character of their own state. They inhabit the lands of their birth, but as temporary residents thereof. They take their share in all the responsibilities as citizens and endure all disabilities as aliens. Every foreign land is their native land, and every native land is their foreign land. They pass their days upon the earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. It would be wrong to think that this makes the Christian a bad citizen of the land in which he lives. 
It is because he sees all things in the light of eternity that he is best of all citizens. For it is only in the light of eternity that the true values of the things can be seen. We as Christians are the chosen people of God. We are the exiles of eternity. Therein lie both our priceless privileges and our inescapable responsibility. Yeah. So anywhere a brother or sister in Christ is, that's your nation. And I don't want to stand on this, and this is not what this message is about. But our allegiance to our nations in the world is not even on the same scale. It's not even a percentage. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God that we are citizens of. And our lives prophesy to the world whether or not we exist in that kingdom. So when I look at a brother or sister from another nation and I look down upon them, or a brother or sister of a different skin color and I look down upon them, I do not prophesy the kingdom of God. But when I stand in a city and lock arms with brothers and sisters from everywhere, I prophesy this kingdom of God. And it speaks about this in Revelation. Bill, do you have this? Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. I want to challenge you. This is kind of a rub right now with me. I don't, I don't see color, right? I don't see you need to, and you need to celebrate it. If you want to be a part of the kingdom and citizenship of heaven, you need to look at a brother or sister and say, I see and I celebrate, right? The idea that we're not going to see color is ridiculous because we're saying that we're not celebrating our differences under God and it's celebratable according to him and we actually will celebrate around the throne room of God that way. So these exiles are spread across the land in citizenships, not just the kingdom of God and they're being told a couple things by Peter that you need to get. The first thing he says to them is you are the elect. And this isn't meant here to be a theological debate, right? This is what Christians hear in spaces where there's not a lot of persecution and we dissect things. This is meant to be a comfort. You were chosen before the world was formed. Whether you want to agree with that or not, you're created in the image of your father. His fingerprints are already on you. So it's not us going to save a lost and dying world. It's us trying to redeem back to its original purpose. He chose you just by the way he created you. It starts with him, and then you respond. But it is 100% his doing that you are chosen. There's no part of this that you have earned on your own. There's no part that you can brag about. Here are the things that I did to make sure he's making sure that we know. The choosing is him to you. You just get to step into it. That's our job. We step into our chosenness. And isn't it good to be chosen, right? And isn't it terrible to not be chosen? We talked about this before, right? Chosen, blessed, broken, given, the Lord's table. This is the model of the Lord's table. This is what Henry Nouwen wrote in his book, Life of the Beloved. We are chosen first. You are chosen. You do not have to earn that. That's nothing that you have to create. You respond to it. You are blessed by him, right? This passage is actually mirroring this whole thing we've talked about. You are broken. Persecution. It's coming. And it's going to form some things. And you are given to your world. But you are chosen first. You do not do anything to deserve that. You respond to what has been done for you. 
And you don't get to choose who else is chosen. This is the great thing about God's choosing. We have this idea that when something is chosen, something else is not chosen. And it stems from when I was six years old and I wanted to play kickball and I was the last one picked and I just cried and went back in the classroom. I understood what it meant to not be chosen. And there's much more serious versions of that at play in our world today where whole groups are unchosen and walk in unchosenness. And whole groups have been chosen their whole life and don't even know it. You've been chosen by Christ, but not at the sake of someone else. He doesn't choose like us. His choosing is not limited to just, you can be fully chosen with every bit of God's heart for you and the person next to you as well. And it's your job to step into your portion of that. And you respond to it. And he says to them, you are God's elect. You are exiles, but you are the elect. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Something so beautiful happens when you get that part. Something so unbelievably captivating happens when you get that part. For these people, it was important because they were Gentiles. And just because I'm going to continue the Barclay theme, amen? I just need to read you this from Barclay again. What did it mean to be a Gentile? So this is the community this book is mostly written to. We actually had some debate about this in staff. The Gentiles spread out. Some Jewish people were a part of this, but mostly Gentiles. And there's a specific thing that happens with Gentiles who had been told previously that their worth is nothing. Legitimately, they believe that. This was some of the thought. But the outstanding thing about this passage is that it takes the words and conceptions which had originally, sorry, applied only to Jews. The chosen nation is now being used as a phrase towards outsiders and applies it to the Gentiles who had once been believed to be outside the mercy of God. Once it had been said about them, God created the Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. Once it had been said about them that just as the best of snakes must be crushed, so the best of Gentiles must be destroyed. Once it had been said about them, God loved only Israel and no other nation. But now the mercy, the privileges, and the grace of God has gone out to all the earth, to all men, even to those who never would have expected it. This is Jesus. We couldn't see clearly until Jesus. This was Jesus even before we could see clearly. We just couldn't read it right. I've been, we've been diving into some thought about the Old Testament lately and how a lot of people think this version of God in the Old Testament is this angry God, and then Jesus comes along and he just makes everything better, right? And somebody said recently, it's more like we kind of think of God as like the angry alcoholic father, and Jesus is like the older son that steps in to make sure none of the other kids get beaten up. But really what happened is Jesus came along to show us how to look at everything. And we didn't understand how to do that because we didn't have Jesus. But we would have seen it like that with him. So how would humans talk about a God that didn't have a Jesus to show them? They would explain it like the God of the Old Testament. God of the New Testament comes and tells the people to put down their stones. The God of the New Testament comes and takes off his God clothes and literally washes people's feet. The God of the New Testament comes and chooses women to take the gospel first. The God of the New Testament comes and turns everything upside down. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Not, not just make room for people who are different from you, but love your enemy. And if one of them smacks you, this is one we all know too, right? What do you do if somebody smacks you? I mean, I'm not asking what scripture says. I'm asking what you do if somebody smacks you. Yeah? Jesus wanted me to protect myself. He told me. Like, I mean, I know what the Bible says, but I was pretty sure Jesus was telling me, 
protect myself. So, so the reason for this letter really quickly, persecution really, for this nation provides the best framework for the gospel, which is kind of sad for us, right? Because you don't ever want to just ask God to bring persecution or even trials and all of us go through them. But because of this, because of the trials and persecution, it provided the best prop up in history and we see the gospel spread. The gospel has a clear path. And it's like the formation of gold. So this passage actually mentions gold. And if you know anything about heating gold, if you want to make gold more pure, use extreme temperatures. And once that happens, the imperfections start to come to the surface. The imperfections start to come out. Once we are put in situations that are difficult, more like trials, these things start to surface in us as well. These things have to surface in us. And when they surface, it can't become for you a reason why God is not with you. When you're tested, when you're under fire, when those things surface, we present them. And in the process of that, we become these pure vessels to take the gospel of Jesus to people. And I understand, like, when you scale our trials, you know, it's a little bit like parents who have one kid. You're like... They're going to need space for about a year because they're about to think everything's the most difficult thing in the world. Until you have three kids and you're like, that was so easy, right? Like one kid would be like a dream come true. <laughs> but I don't ever cast stones back at those people because when you're in that spot, it literally feels like that. Like when you have one kid that's been thrown into your lap, you're like, oh my gosh. You know, Jim Gaffigan says, what's it like to have a fourth kid? It's like drowning and then having someone hand you another baby. <laughs> but you don't have the framework for that. So... While we're not, this, this, we're not having to run for our lives because somebody's going to literally put animal skins on us to set dogs upon us, that's also not for us to be like, well, you don't have it bad. It's never going to be bad. I, your, your problems aren't anything. To the scale of what you can actually handle at this point, your problems are real. Your trials are real. And they will teach you exactly what they need to teach you. So I wouldn't even say lessen other people's trials because maybe they feel like this to them. And God's purposed that trial in their life to form something that will only come through these trials. And so for us as Christians, do we want the joy of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Like that's our hope is in Jesus to fulfill and come and be the resurrection and continue to save. Right? Continue. But in our trials, he's showing us things that cannot be shown any other way. So he's telling this community of people, if you're in a trial, be thankful for it. What's he giving you in it? Just really quickly, who in this room feels like they're walking through even a little bit of a trial right now? Raise your hand. Every one of you, God is using this thing to show you something that can be shown no other way. It's not an indictment against your character. For the Gentiles to have the whole community they're trying to take this message to tell them, you guys are all idiots, is just mirroring the things that happened before they were saved. The community of the, the Jewish community was already telling them that. So it was probably stirring some things from their past. Like the trial that they had to go through, legitimate trial, was probably reminding them we were scum. And maybe for you, the trial that you're going through is trying to tell you the same thing. It's just because you're a bad person. Jesus isn't with you. He's not for you. It's gold being purified and the things surfacing. It's the things coming out that need to come out. It's the things that have to be formed in you for what God's leading you into.
You cannot escape the desert. You don't want to escape the desert, right? You don't want to sit down to 52 desserts. You need your meat and potatoes. You have to go through the things that will give you the things you need as you get to the next stages. And so it mentions the prophets here, and I'm going to close up in just a second. It mentions the prophets who, by the Holy Spirit, hundreds of years before, had heard from God. And by the way, this is what a prophet did. They searched for and inquired about salvation. They created space to listen. And what was told to them, they shared with the community. And nobody understood. Nobody got it, not even them, most of the time. And I believe if some of the prophets would have seen what happened with Jesus, they would have been disappointed. There's no conquering king. There's no wipeout of a nation. So sometimes the, the things God speaks to you as a prophet, you might not even understand. The people you're speaking it to might not understand. And God might bring it about in a different way that you can even understand. But if it's for him, for the salvation of the other, it will come. It will come. So as the prophets in this passage and as the preachers, right? See, this is the great thing about when you're trying to hear the voice of God. The things that you've heard over and over again, being confirmed by the people around you. Listen to those things. The things that are happening in this passage. It says the angels sat attently and watched. But the angels had waited for the culmination of salvation and then it actually happening. And they're celebrating. And I believe Peter's saying to this community, you've got to keep going. right? Like, If I see anything in this passage, it's the desire I have for our church to be a church that does this. They're being successful. They're about to baptize people left and right. And for them, when they baptized someone, they were saying, I disconnect from my allegiance to Caesar, and I now put my allegiance in Christ. So their lives were at stake. Peter's saying to them, it's about to get tough for you. You're doing the right thing. You're going after God the right way. People are being saved. You're forming churches. There's not a lot of structure yet. It's kind of sloppy at this point. There's only elders. People are kind of doing what they want. They're building it. They're building it. They're doing the right thing. They're taking the stories of Jesus to the community. They're seeing Jesus do things. They're seeing miracles all over the place. They're seeing God provide needs, help people. The gospel is going forward. Peter's saying you're doing a good job. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. If it's easy, if it's always easy as a Christian, you need to, you need to start praying. You need to start praying. You need to start seeking God. Because I wonder if you're actually living the gospel. Because nobody's doing this. Like a world right there is 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 they're not the enemy, right? Like they're not the enemy, but they're not waiting to be like, oh, look at that Christian young man and young woman. Look how awesome they are. They don't they don't understand. They have to see it through somebody who comes and completely gives their life 100 percent And then they don't even understand it. Right? That's Jesus. That's the message of the prophets with Jesus and people not getting it but somehow through the Spirit of God and through the community that God places in cities. I believe the church is important. I don't believe you should sit at home all day like doing your own thing and doing your devotional and that's it. It's just about you and God. It's about us taking the gospel to cities. And when people see it and understand it, they want it. And then they come to this, right? They come into this. And in this they are formed. And there's no way around that. And there doesn't need to be communities with all the same kinds of people. They need to see us 
argue lovingly. They need to see us celebrate beautifully. They need to see worshiping something other than a culture. They need to see people freaking out in worship for something other than a celebrity. They need to be like, why are they doing that? Why are they worshiping like that? Because we worship something larger than us. Because our affections are pointed to something not of this world because we're resident aliens. We live here, but we're residents there. We're prophesying a city to come that's not here yet, but kind of is here. Right? That's the community of believers in every city. And and they know us by the way that we love one another. So the invitation that Peter's telling them is, don't give up. It's going to be hard, but you can have joy even now. Right? This is why you hear about the stories of people being decapitated in the Gospels and celebrating on the way. Anybody comes in here and says, come with me, I'm going to decapitate you today. There's, there's nobody in here that's like, well, that's cool. Let's do this. <laughs> going to get decapitated, decapitated, decapitated. It's not happening. Right? And I don't hope that that happens. But I do hope a couple things. One, when we can take ground, take ground. So this is going to be strong for some of you. If, if God has called you to preach, and you know it, and you're waiting for a stage, have you started to study the Word? Have you started to submit yourself to growing in Christ? If God has called you to serve people lovingly, have you listened to your city's needs? You have space and time to do that. If God has called you to lead worship on stages, have you worshiped? by yourself weeping at home. Can you take ground right now? These people, it's, it's like this. It's like, all right, somebody's brother so-and-so and so-and-so were killed last week. We got to get serious. We're talking about what do we like in church? Did you guys like that church? It wasn't really my flavor, you know. I've, I've literally had people say, we have flavor churches. That's what happens when there's not true persecution in society. It's flavor church. That's just what we do. That's not even throwing stones. It's just what we do when we have too much time. What do you want to focus on in our church? Let's do these four vision bards. It'll be great. (laughs) You don't care about that stuff. When it's you in a city, your lives depend on it, and people need Jesus. You don't care. (laughs) We've never got there. Like, if this was, those would not be on the wall. There'd be no cool hipster lights, right? Like, we would just be like, let's gather together and pray Let's gather together and worship. Let's exalt Jesus. Let's go out and and tell people about Jesus. Let's share the stories of Jesus that we're seeing right now. Let's share the stories of Jesus' history's past that have been given to us by churches that maybe we didn't like. But they did it for 2,000 years, so thank you, Jesus, for getting it to us. But it'd be cooler if we just had, like, can we just do, like, like Theology on Tap this week? Right? Like, I went to Theology on Tap last week, and it was actually great. So I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I'm a product of where I am. And I'm not going to like apologize about that, but I am going to say, if you're a product of this culture, take ground. Do not sit at home and watch Netflix for the next 10 years. Do not complain about all the people that didn't love you at church. Go love someone you don't feel connected with. Connect with someone. Take ground. Does that make sense? We're complaining about things nobody's complaining about, right? This community would be like, you're complaining about what? And then you couldn't even smack them back, right? You'd be like, that's weird that you smacked me because the Bible, and they'd be like. 
Let's take ground, right? So I wrote you a poem in relation to this. I'm going to miss my son's parade for y'all, and that's good. Jesus, let that be. Let that stop. So this is my read of this passage. If you'll close your eyes. To the Christians in Smyrna and Marietta and Mableton and Atlanta and Kennesaw and Woodstock and Jasper, to the Christians there, God knew he would choose you. He knew he would cleanse you and set you apart and invite you into a deep, loving covenant. He would give you abundances of grace and peace. He would say to you, you are completely new, not because of you, but all because of Jesus. Now you get God. You get it all. You get life with him. Centuries went by and people longed for this. Centuries of people dying for faith, people longed for this. You get all of him. You are guarded by faith. He will come through. These trials you are in right now, they are going to make you strong. You will rejoice and you will be better for it. I am saying to you, I will continue to save you over and over and over again until you are saved with me in heaven. You are a part of a new family I've been building for a lot longer than 30 or 40 years. My Holy Spirit has worked for you, in you, You didn't even know it. He was working on your behalf. And I have sent people to you all throughout your life. I have sent prophets through the scriptures. I have sent actual prophets. I have sent family members to you to tell you, Christ is real. Fall in love with me. Give it all to me. You can completely trust me. Angels have waited for these moments. They are watching right now. They are watching you. They are wondering what you'll do with this gift you've been given. This good news is for you now, not later, now. Be encouraged. I am with you. Now let me love those around you through you. It's a gift given to you. Now give it to others. They won't understand. They might even fight you. Love them anyway. The way that I love you. I have shown you how. I will continue showing you. I love you. Jesus, we need you to stir our hearts, not into doctrinal arguments or pulling apart behavioral ethics, but into simply loving people who do not know what it's like to be loved. We are the people you're sending. In this room, This body has a role in Smyrna. You have called us to love this city. It is our job as your people. We are the body of Christ. Stir our hearts to passion for your name, for the city, to see the things of God that no one else can see except for you doing them. I pray for stories upon stories about what you'll do to surface, to surface, to surface from obedient people who will go where no one else will go, who will love the unlovable, who will stop waiting for someone to give them a hug and go hug.
I just I feel like this morning God gave me like a word. It could be prophecy. I'm not saying that because I don't think I'm a prophet. But I believe he said in 2019, he always speaks to me like a year ahead. And then I forget it. And I'm like, gosh, I should have wrote that down. <laughs> that God was going to bring multiple salvations to our church in 2019. He's been preparing us. So we have things like recovery groups. We're working on a thing called an alpha group. We have community that people say this is a family. But he's been waiting and forming, and he's sending us. It's not just for us. 2019 will be a year where we see people come to know Jesus, and not just transferring from other churches because we have hipster lights. And not just transferring from other churches because we have a graphic designer that makes pretty things, but because the love of Jesus is free. People who do not know Jesus coming to know him. I believe 2019 he's calling this church to get out of these walls and love people who do not know him. There needs to be baptisms into his family. There needs to be welcome to the table in your homes. I can't wait till you're sharing with us about your welcome to the table with people that shouldn't even be in your home. You got all kinds of people just hanging out like, why are these people here? I don't care. I'm going to serve them and love them. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear what's happening, right? Don't watch us do it. Do it. It's not our job to do all the spiritual work. Do it. Go do it. Don't be too picky with churches either. If you don't want to be here, I want you here. But don't critique every church. That's not your job. They're just people. Ask the tough questions when you need to. But jump in. Love people. Serve people. Express Jesus through you to people. Pray for people. Don't don't be ashamed to stand and pray. Thank you, Julia, for doing that. This is the body of Christ, right? We're not another product to be put on a shelf to be selected by an attractive young couple looking for a new church. That's a pretty church. It should be sloppy. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Jesus, stall my son's game. In your name we pray. (laughs) If you guys will stand, worship, can you come up? Thank you so much. Love you guys very much. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.